0: hey thanks for tuning in to this special edition of the hope community podcast it's another flashback episode check it out so excited to start a brand new uh, series this week uh called things jesus never said um jesus gets attributed to a lot of things he gets uh quoted a lot of times uh, and sometimes the heart of that quote, or sometimes the words, <laughs> don't exactly line up with maybe what he has said, uh, and there's been plenty of hurt and shame and things uh, done in the name of words that Jesus has said. So we're going to start this whole thing off with a video, and uh, we'll go from there.
1: Do you think he can fly? Shh. here he comes. Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. and Don't try and hide, because I'm Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. Let's see, and you... I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. Hmm... Philip, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger, someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. And Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. All right, all you sinners, come with me time to pay the piper. Man, it was only one cigarette. I heard that. Look at all these sinners. Alright. Listen up. Listen to me. I'm Jesus. Listen to what I have to say. I have done many wonderful things. I have healed many people of diseases. I have performed many miracles so that I can tell you this. You're all evil. There is no hope. That's it. Thank you. All right, so
0: how many of you, I know that was kind of funny or whatever, but how many of you in one way or the other have heard something along those lines attributed to Jesus or maybe attributed to somebody who said they were from the church and basically preached no hope? Have you heard that before? Heard that a lot growing up, grew up under a lot of that. And uh, the more I dug into scripture and the more I encountered Jesus, the more I realized that that's not really how it is. And so... You know, when we, we see things like this, and, and a lot of times, and we can kind of hear it coming from at least the church in America, we hear things like, you know, that, that, that this would be the voice of the Father, that this would be the voice of Jesus, that this would be the voice of the Holy Spirit, that, that we would hear Him say, I'm so disappointed in you. Or, what were you thinking? Or, you're a serious letdown. You have no idea the damage that you've done to my reputation. Or, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't act like that. I've heard that before. (laughs) If you really love me, you would try harder. We're done. And then uh, one of my personal favorites is, you know what, I'm really tired of forgiving that same old sin. And those are all things, whether we heard them or not, maybe subconsciously we felt them. Because of some of the things that we've attributed to Jesus. Things that we thought that He said. And you know, for a group of people that's supposedly walking in grace and living in love unconditionally. And supposedly secure in our relationship with Jesus. We carry a whole lot of guilt and baggage. Luggage and junk. When it comes to our relationship with the Father. Our hearts and minds are filled with like a, if we can imagine a VCR tape that just constantly replays the stupid stuff that we've done in our life and we think that that's what it's like in heaven, that the father's just up there watching the old VCR tape, not even a DVD player, it's not even, not even like an MP4 or an MP3 or an MPEG, it's, it's literally a VCR that he shoves in there and it starts playing and there's lines on it because he's watched it so much. That's the idea that we have in our head. That's the idea that we have of the Father when it comes to the stuff. And so we start thinking that we don't measure up, that we're not doing enough, that we uh, even can call ourselves a Christian. I mean, we live with that guilt. Some of us just hold that all in. And the thing is, it's really not biblical. It's not even... What Jesus said, and it's really not his heart. So, did Jesus say that you could do something to lose the Father's love? Did he say that you could get out of his favor? Did, you, did he say that there was some list of rules that you had to follow to stay in that love? Let's talk about John's gospel for a second. John's gospel is the oldest gospel. It was the last gospel that was written, and it was written by the last disciple alive. John lived through the life of Jesus. He lived through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, his ascension. He lived through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He lived through the transformation of Saul to Paul. He lived through all of the missionary journeys that all his buddies, all his disciples did. He lived through seeing Mary and Martha and all the other women followers of Jesus. Yes, women followers of Jesus who did just as many exploits as the guys did but because we lived in a, there was a male-dominated society, which kind of is around today too, but a male-dominated society, at least in religion, kind of like the church now, but the male-dominated society, that they kind of pushed all that knowledge behind. But you can actually dig and find history where you see Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary and Martha, and Mary especially going around and, and meeting with leaders and seeing their hearts changed by the stories that she shared. So John lived through all of that. He lived through all the letters that Paul had wrote, and Peter had wrote, and all of them. And in the end, he's writing First and Second and Third John. He's writing Revelation, and then he writes the Gospel of John. Why is that important? Because John, the last living disciple, is actually writing a Gospel in the culmination of everything that has matured in those first two centuries of Christianity. And so that's why John's Gospel is so different. And that's why in the very beginning you find out who the Word actually is. John tells us that Jesus is the Word of God. Brian Zahn likes to say it this way, Jesus is what God has to say. So if you want to know what God is saying, if you want to know what the Father is saying to the universe, find out what Jesus is saying. The word, the logos, God's mind made up, or what God is saying, Jesus, was in the beginning with God, and who is God, became flesh and lived among us. So what God has to say, what Father has to say, came and lived with us. So we're going to start there, all right? He talks about how John says in John 1, 17 that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, did you hear that? Truth, grace and truth came through Jesus. So law, rule, regulations, religion came through Moses, but Jesus brought what? Grace and truth. So in the, between those two, which one do you think is greater? Grace and truth. Why, why is grace and truth greater? because of who brought it. Moses was a cool dude. He was pretty awesome. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he parted the Red Sea, right? He did some crazy things. Did some stupid stuff. But he ain't Jesus. Right? So who brought the greater? Jesus. We'll talk more about that in a second. John goes so far as to say that compared with the revelation of God in Jesus, no one has ever seen God. It is only it is God the only son who is close to the Father's heart, who has made Him known. That's John 1.18. Jesus is the one who sees the Father. He's the one that saw Him. He's, he came from Him. So if you want to know what the Father's like, then we have to go to Jesus. And that means that every other human description of what God is like, or what the Father is like, is wrong compared to what Jesus says. Uh-oh. What? Let's keep going. Jesus said of himself, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has, ex- has seen me, whoever has experienced me, whoever has encountered me, whoever has read about me has read about, experienced, encountered, seen the Father. Colossians says that he is the image of the invisible God. That's Colossians 1.15. He's the picture. There is no other picture of God that we as human beings can encounter other than Jesus. That's who we get it from. Okay? All of that is pretty much standard Christian theology. It's what the church has believed from the very beginning, but for some reason we keep veering from it or we just forget about it. We all agree or should agree, or it's somewhere in Christian doctrine and theology, wherever you're at, Somewhere in there, it's going to say that Jesus reveals God. But here's where the rubber meets the road. Okay? What happens when God revealed in Jesus conflicts with the God you've always heard about? What happens when the God that's revealed through Jesus conflicts with maybe what you read about Him in the Old Testament? There's all kinds of isms out there. There's Calvinism, Arminianism, Molism. There's other western branches of Christian theology. There's fundamentalism. There's evangelicalism. There's all this stuff. And everybody in one way, shape, or another always somehow puts the authority of Scripture up really high. The problem is it gets put up higher than Jesus. And this is what we have to understand. John 1, the culmination of the maturity of the gospel flowings from Jesus through the start of the church, through all the other apostles' teachings and writings, you get to John. The maturity of all of this, John is saying, there's only one word, and that's Jesus. Capital W, W, word is Jesus. Jesus and the Bible are not the same thing. The Bible is 66 books that reveal Jesus, that open the door for us to realize who Jesus is. Bible says He's a mirror that shows us who we are and shows us who the Father is. It's a door that opens. And this this is going to mess with you some, okay? Jesus, capital W word, is perfect. Lowercase w word is imperfect. Now, don't throw stones at me yet until I describe what I'm talking about, okay? The reason why I say it's imperfect is because it was written with the Spirit's leading by imperfect people. It's just like if I sat down and wrote a book right now. If I write that book, it's going to be imperfect because I'm still being perfected. And there's revelation through that imperfect book that I'm writing that you can receive to change your life. There's other things, there's some, non- there's some things that I might have an, an opinion about that really either don't amount to anything or not really important to the story that's being told. Are you all right? So we have to understand who the Word is and who is perfect in these things. When we read about not one thing will be taken away from from this Word, not one thing will be taken away from and how important the Scripture is, what's it talking about? It's not talking about a big, huge book. It's talking about those things that point to who Jesus is. Because that which is perfect. I've been reading a book uh, called uh, The Reader Read Aloud Family, and it's a, it's a book about how you should read to your kids from the time they're in the womb to the time they're getting ready to leave high school. You should be reading to your kids because reading builds comprehension, it builds vocabulary, and it, and it builds inside of our kids the ability to experience things that they might not possibly experience on their own. Experience pain and hurt and love and peace and adventure and different things, and that builds character on the inside of them. Can I tell you that that's what the Hebrew writers in the Old Testament were doing? They were telling stories of things that happened, and there's stories of good, bad, and ugly, right? It's stories of nation building, and there's stories of of bad leaders and good leaders, and good leaders gone bad. There's all kinds of stories. <laughs> And those stories are meant for us to look at, read from, glean from it, read it aloud, learn from it, and see Christ in it. Where's Christ at in this? Where is this showing me who Jesus is? Where is it showing me that this is not who Jesus is? We, can I just share something with you? In education and, and how we teach kids and how we learn, that's what we've been doing for years when it comes to other books, right? When you read a book, you look at it, and hopefully you're doing this. You read, What can I learn from this? What can I gain from this? How, do I, how would I react if I was in this situation? This is all comprehension skills, right? This is how you learn. This is how you grow. This is how you get bigger. Why do we not do that with the Bible? <laughs> it's 66 books that point to Jesus. It's not Jesus, If we don't see Jesus as the capital W Word, and Him revealing who the Father is, then what we're going to have is this picture of God who, at one moment, is patient, not wanting any to perish, and all to come to repentance, but then in other places, He is presented as being angry with every wicked thing, every day, ready to use a sword if, he, if someone does not repent. Repent. This is a God who sometimes sends fire down from heaven to consume over a hundred men, or at other times rebukes his disciples for suggesting God do the same thing. That's Luke nine fifty four. He says, "You don't, do not know what spirit you do not know what spirit you are of." So how are we going to handle this? What are we going to do with this? We've got to go to John 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. Jesus is the Word and reveals who the Father is. We have to look at that first. If we can see who the Father is through Jesus and see the love and the grace and the mercy and the goodness and how He wants all to come to Him, then we start from there. And then we start stepping back and looking at these other places and we start understanding that when folks wrote this thing thousands of years ago and they're experiencing these things and stuff happens... Who else are they going to attribute some of this stuff to? We have to look at things collectively as a whole and not narrowly cut things apart. You all right? What John presents is something called the beautiful gospel. And the beautiful gospel asserts that while all scripture may represent the word of God in a secondary sense. Only Jesus actually is the word of God. Any picture of God that runs counter to the revelation of God in Jesus has to bow to Jesus. Check this out. This is what the transfiguration of Jesus is all about. This is Matthew 17, 1 through 8, Mark 9, 2 through 8, and Luke 9, 28 through 36. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain, right? You remember this story. He takes them up the the mountain. They're standing there, and then Jesus is transformed. He's transfigured before them, and then Moses shows up, and Elijah shows up. Well, who does Moses and Elijah represent? Moses and Elijah represent, Moses the law, Elijah the prophets. And so Peter's looking at all this, and he's blown away by all this, and he's like, hey, listen, um, should we build three shelters here, one for each of you guys? One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. Implying that all three have been given equal authority. That the prophets and the law are equal with Jesus. And then what happens? A cloud overshadows them and God the Father speaks from heaven saying, This is my chosen one. Listen to him. And then Moses and Elijah are gone. And Jesus remains. Jesus talks about this in John 5, 39 through 40. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that testify on my behalf, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The prophets and the law are testifying of what is to come, which was Jesus. You cannot find life in the law. The only thing that's found at the bottom of the law is death. Jesus is the one that we find life from. In Hebrews chapter 1, I'm going to read from the the mirror translation. Hebrews chapter 1, starting with verse 1, it says, Throughout ancient times God spoke in many fragments and glimpses of prophetic thought to our fathers. Now this entire conversation has finally dawned in sonship. Suddenly, what seemed to be an ancient language falls fresh and new like the dew on tender grass. He is the sum total of every utterance of God. He is whom the prophets pointed to, and and we are His immediate audience. In sonship, God declares the incarnate Word to be the heir of all things. He is, after all, the author of the ages. We have our beginning and our being in Him. Jesus is the crescendo of God's conversation. He gives context and content to the authentic thought. Everything that God had in mind for mankind is voiced in Him. Jesus is God's language. He is the radiant and flawless expression of the person and intent of God. He mirrors God's character and exhibits his every attribute in human form. He is the voice of God announcing our redeemed innocence. This voice is the the dynamic that sustains the entire cosmos. He is the force of the universe upholding everything that exists as the exhaustive authority of God enthroned in the boundless measure of His majesty. Jesus is the crescendo. God's conversation. What God is saying is crescendo. You know what crescendo is? You know what crescendo is? It's the music. It's when everything gets ready. It's, it's your, pretty much your favorite part in the song. <laughs> right? It's where everything goes. It's like, oh, yeah. If you're, if you're like, like when, you know, it, back in the day, Eric and I used to be in a hardcore band. That was when, that was when it, everybody was like this, And right, you get ready, and then the snare kicks, and and when the snare hits, you're up in the air. You're jumping. You're swinging your guitar around like this, right? You're kicking somebody in the face. It was brutal back then. That's when somebody would get on a microphone and say, open up this pit. That kind of stuff, you know. Okay, if it's country I'm trying to go what happened in country what's the what would be a crescendo in country music? The horse came back to life, the car started, I don't know.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but the crescendo is the loud. It's the thing that it's the, it's what grabs your attention. It's 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 the it's the theme of the song, right? That's who Jesus is. And Hebrews goes on to say, not only is he the language, the crescendo, he's the meaning, he's the definition, he's where it's all at, but then he goes on to say that everything, everything is in him. And it all came from him. That the universe exists because of him. So, I would say if anybody has the authority to say who the Father is, it would be the one that the entire universe hangs on to exist. So we have to start right here. If if, we, if you want to know what Jesus is talking about, did He say you could lose the Father's love? Did He say you could, you could, that the Father's angry with you because you did something stupid? Well, to understand where Jesus is coming from, you have to know who He is, and you have to get this first, that Christ is the text. He is the Word. He is the Logos. He is what God is saying. He is what God is saying. So if Jesus is what God is saying, is what Father is saying to humanity then what did Jesus say? Jesus introduces us to the Father. We hear his words and actions that our Father loves us unconditionally. He tells us that all the time. He tells us that that he wasn't sent out of anger to punish anybody, but to open the eyes of mankind so that they could see the Father, to see who he really is, who, who he really is, and to see who we really are. So let's talk about sin for a second. Because that's the big thing, right? What sin is there that can cause us to fall? Is sin actions? Is that what sin is? Or is sin the byproduct of actions? If you look up what sin in Greek, what that word means, it means to miss the mark. What mark has humanity been missing? who the Father really is. Because... If you've grown up your entire life thinking that there's some being on the other side of the universe that doesn't even connect with us at all. He's angry and he's mad and he's got a big huge white beard and long flowing white hair and he's sitting up in a robe and he's got this lightning bolt and he is just waiting for you to mess up so he can launch that lightning bolt into your life and your car can break down, your aunt can die, your dog can die, your fish can die, you can lose your job, you can lose all this stuff. If that's what you think God is, then guess how you're going to live your life? broken and when you do any work with with kids whose whose parents have been abusive or angry all the time or share no love whatsoever if you work with teenagers or anything like that and and I just don't know how many times I have been in youth, worked in youth ministry before when a parent has come to me and they've been like, my kid won't listen, my kid won't do this, my kid keeps getting into this, keeps getting into this, and I, I start to investigate a little bit and I look into the life of the family, I look into that, and what I see is a family that's so dysfunctional that none of them share love with one another, none of them care for one another, all there is is yelling, screaming, hollering, all of this, no honoring between any of them, The kid thinks the parent hates uh, the parent hates them. The parents, because their kid isn't doing what they think they should do, thinks the kid hates them and doesn't want to listen to them. And so it's this cycle of shame and defeat, brokenness. I read a, statistics a, few, a, stati- a statistic a few weeks ago where most of the genera- millennials and generation that's, that's here and now don't even consider their. Family, family. They consider their friends family because of how broken their actual family is. They call their friends brother and sister. They call the older neighbor or whatever dad because that guy was more in their life than the real dad was. When we have a broken relationship, it produces broken things in our life. So if we see the father, if we see God as an angry dude, then guess what? We're going to live broken. Most of the time people don't want to connect with church because they attribute an angry, mad deity with church. And that maybe they don't, they, won't, they don't voice that, but something has happened in the past, either through a broken leader or somebody else that's done something to make them see and perceive that there's no love involved when it comes to the body of Christ. So the moment we see the Father for who He really is, we actually hit the mark. We see it. Seeing Him opens things in us and shows us, wow, this is really not who I am. We begin to see who... We were created to be. We were created in the image of the Father. That's Genesis 1 and 2. We're create everyone, every human is created in the image of the Father. And if we can't see the Father correctly, then we can't see ourselves correctly. We're broken. So, I'm just going to relate naturally to you for a moment. My son, Ezra, is one crazy little dude. I don't know if you saw him up here. He was up here. He's probably over there doing something. I mean, he's just, he's crazy. He, um, he loves getting into stuff, loves tearing things apart. And there's times that he does things that just absolutely just drives me bonkers I mean there's times when he chases the cat and steps on the cat's tail, there's times he hits his sister, there's times he screams, times he yells one time we were in a store and he took something and stuck it in his pocket I asked him why'd you stick that in your pocket I didn't want somebody else to get it I mean like you were going to take it, no I just didn't want that guy over there to get it I was like, well, you're going to walk out the store with it. Well, I was going to take it back to the guy. (laughs) So my son does stuff all the time. And there's not one time in my heart when I look at him and I go, you know, because you did that thing, because you hit your sister, because you stepped on the cat, because you threw my phone across the room, um, (sighs) because you uh, went in there and ate all the cookies when you weren't supposed to you know, because you won't stay in bed at night and you get up and you wake your other brother up, there's not one moment in any of that that I look at him and say, I disown you. You know, later on in his life when he becomes a teenager and he, he, he does something dumb, you know, because that's what teenagers do, right? Because we were all teenagers once and we did a lot of dumb stuff too, right? I'm never going to look at my son and tell him, you know what, I'm done with you. Depart from me. I never knew you. I'm never going to do that with my son. I love him, right? He's my kid. He's my blood. I'm his father. Jesus reveals who the father is so we can see him and see ourselves. My job as a father with my son is to help him see who he is. I do that through love. I help him hit the mark of understanding. I do that through my actions. I do that through uh, showing. I do that through speaking. I do, and that's what the father is doing through Jesus. He's showing us that he loves us. And that nothing can come between us and his love. So scripture does not portray God who loves on some days and hates on other days. Here's one for you. God does not love. He is love. And we hear a lot about wrath. Well, the wrath of God. The wrath of God, brother. Brother. Let me be real bold with you. The wrath of God is simply an extension of his love. God's wrath has nothing to do with hating us. It has everything to do with hating the stuff that's around us that hinders us from seeing who we really are. He, he, He doesn't like things that are destroying us. It's not us. That wrath is aimed towards. His wrath isn't for you. It's not against you. It's against the stuff that keeps you from seeing who you really are. So let's think about this for a second. How did God's wrath, quote unquote, destroy sin? Love. Not anger, not hate. A lot of times the picture that's being painted at the cross is you got Jesus, and he's, he's in agony and in, in misery, and then you got the Father. He's walked away from Jesus because he can't be near his son because of all that sin, and who knows what the Holy Spirit has done. Man, that just sounds like a schizophrenic God, and that's not who God is. It says that God was in Jesus reconciling what? What was he reconciling in Jesus? They were in it working together, reconciling sin, reconciling humanity, missing the mark. They were working together and they were doing it in love. The father wasn't, wasn't at the cross going, oh yeah, Jesus, you're going to take on the sins of the world. All right, this humanity, this is what you could have gotten. Squish, like a bug wasn't happening what was happening at the cross was an act of love so God is not a moody father who has personally offend, who, is, who is personally offended by our sin can I tell you something if God is offended by your sin that makes him that's pretty weak right I mean he created humanity and we mess up he's offended by it I remember growing up in And uh, be in the middle of service, and a baby would cry. And everybody would look at the baby. Tell that baby to shut up. He's going to scare the father away. I'm a preacher's kid. I'm I'm like eighth, well, not eighth. I think I'm like sixth generation preacher's kid. Okay, like six generations before. Maybe I'm the sixth generation. Five generations before me was preachers all right so preachers kids get bored real fast in church i used to have matchbox cars i love matchbox cars i bring matchbox cars sneak them in my pants like way down here and try to hide them where my mom and dad couldn't see them and then i'd get to church and while everybody because we old school pentecostal holy ghost breakout revival sweat bobby pins people rolling on the floor you know that kind of stuff that's what i grew up in all right so all that's going on up here and i got the whole back row to myself old wood pews, I used to set up hymnals, right, set up these hymnals, and I would take those Maxwell's cars, and I would launch them, and they'd jump up in the air like this, and i try to get them to where they go above the pew, so i hopefully, you know, like, you know one of those things, like, you kind of want to get caught, but you don't want to get caught, because there's an adventure in that, right, so it'd go up over the pew, and then come down, and guess what it's going to hit, the wood pew, which is going to go, bang, and you know what I learned from that, Matchbox scars and wooden pews did not scare what the Holy Spirit was doing in that moment. None of them people cared what I was doing. I was down on the floor throwing them up. <laughs> Crazy good old time. He used to sit and read comic books in church too. In the I'm just confessing everything right now. I open the hymnal, put the comic book in it and read it. <laughs> but none of those sca- things scared away what what jesus wanted to do in that moment because you can't scare him away matter of fact jesus said let the children come to him he knows how children are right he created them i mean we're not going to scare them it's like <laughs> i don't know it's just sometimes growing up i remember people saying stuff like that about the holy spirit you're Don't want to dishonor the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything in this moment. Don't scare him. Don't say anything. Don't hit the drums at the wrong moment. Right? Because that could just tear everything up. It could just scare him. I mean, you're like, really? I'm going to look at the Holy Spirit and go, boo! And he's going to take off? (laughs) I don't think so. There's nothing that you can do to scare away the Father. What's happening is, is because of missing the mark and you not knowing who you are and your brokenness and, and, and the shame that you've heaped upon yourself, you're the one that's hiding. He's not hiding. So God's not moody. He's not offended. He didn't... <laughs> he, he, his son wasn't trying to appease some bloodlust at the cross. The Father never forsook His Son on the cross to satisfy His anger. Instead, the Father and Spirit were fully involved at the cross. God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to Himself, 2 Corinthians 5.19. So God's not schizophrenic. He's not a deity bouncing between love and hatred. The point of the cross was to redeem mankind from its own self-destruction. We're the ones doing this. It wasn't to pay off some ill-tempered, narcissistic God who was so mad, so spitting mad at you for sinning against him. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. So can we fall out of God's favor? So you have to understand that all humans are God's children in the truest sense. God looks at us, he doesn't see depraved creatures, but his own beloved children. I can't believe how controversial that is. (laughs) Like, you put that statement on Facebook, you watch how many people freak out about that. What do you mean? Everybody. Is his kids. People say that Christians are only God's children. Some people say only some Christians are God's children. That we can only become God's children when we believe in Him. But here's the thing: Jesus, throughout all His teachings, throughout all the Gospels, He constantly, he constantly talks to God as being Father, not just His Father, but as our Father, Your Father. And even when He's speaking to those who don't even believe in Him, He calls them Father. One example, Jesus is talking. He says, you have one Father, the one in heaven. His audience includes the Sadducees, the Pharisees, who had gathered to test Him. They didn't even believe in Him. They wanted to kill Him. And He looked at them and said, your Father. another place, Jesus is teaching and he says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. He was speaking to religious leaders at the time who didn't believe in him. So if he's talking to people who didn't even believe in who he was and saying to them, the father, your father, our father, then that's a good example of showing us that the father is the father. Paul also teaches us that we're all God's children. Speaking to the Athenians, he affirms the saying of the poets that we too are his offspring. That's Acts 17, 28 through 29. He later says that there is one God, the Father, from whom all things come. That's 1 Corinthians 8, 6. And again, I bow by knees before the Father, whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. That's Ephesians 3, 14 through 15. And finally, there is one God and Father of all, Who's all? All. Who is above all and through all and in all. That's Ephesians 4 6. So we are his kids. There's nothing we could do to undo the fact that we are his kids. You can't get away from it. It's who we are. It's Genesis chapter 1 and 2. He created man in his image. He created children. We are his kids. This this is what I love about the parable of the prodigal son. Or I really like to call it, as others have called it, the parable of the dancing father. Because the father in this instance, here's someone who has... They, they, they've missed the mark in some way, and it, basically they lost who they were. And they're returning to the Father. And the idea in the Son's head is, is well, I'm just going to come back and I'll be, I'll be a servant. I'll just, I'll just, you know, woe is me. I'll, I'll do a list of rules that you have set for me just so I can, you know, be with you. But what's the Father do? When he sees his Son coming... He goes running after him, says he's dancing, running, tells all the people, party time. Get out the good meat, get that big old fat cow out of there, we're going to have some ribeye steaks, some New York strip, some good old hamburgers, we're going to have a party. If it was Chandler, he would have said, go get the big spinach plant. Go get the cheese sticks. It's time for Don't forget. <yeah. laughs> Don't forget the marinara. There was no preconditions. There was no hoops to jump through. He was a son. He was a child of, of the father. And he was welcomed in the father's arms. It's almost as if everything was taken care of. And from this parable, the story, we know that there's a bigger story. We know the story of the cross. We know that love one, we know that the door to our self-imposed cage has been opened. The self-imposed cage. The, the pig pen that we were living in, that has been opened and we're free to walk out. So let me make this real personal with you, okay? When God looks at you, no matter who you are or what you may have done, God sees his son, his daughter. And like any good parent, God loves you exactly the way you are. Because he created you that way. He loves you simply for being his son and his daughter. But we, God's kids are wounded. We're wounded kids. That wound is we don't We don't see who we really are. We don't see who we really are. And so because we don't see really who we really are, that we're a son and we're a daughter, that we're created in God's image, then we often choose to live in fear and pride and selfishness and brokenness and hurt and shame. that is the byproduct of of missing the mark, not seeing the Father and not seeing who we really are. And those those, those actions that come out of that heart of brokenness and fear and pride and selfishness, all of that causes harm to ourselves. It causes harm to ourselves. It causes harm to the creation around us. It breaks us. It breaks things that we come into contact with. It breaks other people. When you don't know who you are, when you don't know who you really are, you're a shell of who you could be. And listen, no parent wants to see that. No parent wants to see their son and their daughter broken like that. So God is is hurting, is grieved to see that kind of harm come to you. His desire is not to punish you for your sin, for your brokenness, for missing the mark. That's that's not His purpose. Because let's just be honest, sin is its own punishment. Sin pays its own wages, and what does it bring? Romans 6.23, death. A lot of times when we read that scripture, we think death as in the final nail in the coffin. Like, right? But you can experience death every day. When it comes to your thinking, when it comes to your actions, when it comes to how you feel, when it comes to shame and hurt brokenness it feels like death. It takes the energy out of you. You feel like you can't get up in the morning, you can't look at yourself in the mirror because you can't face yourself because you don't like what you see in the mirror. I mean, if we can just be real about it, because we don't like to be real when it comes to stuff like this because it gets personal and it gets in your mess and it gets in your stuff. But, man, the, the stress and the anxiety and the pressure and all that stuff. And then you heat shame and then you can't look at yourself in the mirror because you just think you look ugly. And you think you just, you go through all these emotions and all this stuff and it's literally an emotional hell. And when you look at what Jesus talked about when he talked about hell, when he talked about Gehenna, when he talked about Hades, when he used these words and you know what those words actually mean in the Greek and you find out that Gehenna is this trash dump on the outside of the city that was constantly on fire in flames. And he talks about how that sin, the brokenness that you have in your life is going to bring about death to the point that you're, you're a dumpster fire. There's these, it's wallowing and living in that. It's heaping punishment onto ourselves. And Father doesn't want to see that. And that's why the Holy Spirit is working. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance, a renewing of your mind. A, 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 a renewing of your vision so you can see clearly. His goodness is leading us to where we can repent or we can see, Father, for who He really is, that He loves us, that He's called us His kids, that He's, He sees us as created in His image, and that He loves us, and that through Jesus the mirror, we begin to see, oh, th- this is who I, I am. I, I'm loved. I'm loved. I'm I'm, I'm not a bad person because He created me, so I'm a good person. I, I've been doing stupid stuff because I didn't see who I really was. I thought I was bad. I'm not bad. I'm, I'm actually good. I was created to be good. I was created to do stuff. Not destroy, but to do stuff. And so rep- to changing, seeing, seeing Him, seeing us, changing who we are, and that's how Jesus, when He's talking about Love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. We have to we we see the Father and we fall in love and in that love he we his love is poured into us and we can actually begin to love ourselves. And once we begin to love who we are, who we were created to be, who we are, then we can love our neighbor. We can love them because we can see them and say, "Hey, listen, you're created in the image of God too. And if you're created in the image of God too, then you can experience the love that I experience. So I can love you like the Father loved me, so you can experience the goodness of the Father, leading folks to see who He really is. We're a part of the process. And what we're doing is we're taking people from death and bringing them to Zoe life. Because this encounter with love and seeing yourself who you're supposed to be and you begin to love yourself what it does is spring forth something called zoe which is the god kind of life it's the creative life the life that when jesus said let there be light and light happened that creative life that took place is the life that is inside of us That creative life is the same life that rose Jesus from the dead and and it says, Paul says, it is now inside of us. So that is what is experienced in this, this transformation and this exchange of things in this process with the Father. We now live in life and that life can bring others from death to life. So whereas sin brings about the wages of sin is death guess what the wages of light is life and that's what you give out now see what what good would it be for God to add greater pain to the pain that's already there that doesn't make any sense God's desire is to heal us Our woundedness, to heal our brokenness, to restore us, to restore us to the relationship that we have with him. To help us live in love as we were created to live. He wants to free us from the cycle of death and bring us into life. So if you want to know what the Father is about and want to know what the Father is doing, He's not up in heaven holding things against you. He's not waiting for you to do something so you can lose favor with him. I'm just going to make a statement. Humanity's never lost favor with the Father. They never have. You've never lost favor with him. I'll tell you why you haven't. Jesus, because if we had lost favor with the Father, there'd be no need for Jesus. Jesus didn't show up to go, you know, like the video said, all you sinners, there's no hope. He didn't, he didn't come to say that. What he did is he came to show us, um, guys, uh, the Father loves you. When you see and understand, you know, Jesus said, I don't do anything that the Father doesn't do. I don't say anything that the Father doesn't say. I don't go anywhere that the Father doesn't tell me to go. When you, when you know those three things, and then you read the Gospels and see the things that he did, hear the things that he said, and the places that he went, you start to realize, um, maybe this idea of a big, bad voodoo God in heaven is not true. Maybe I didn't see it correctly. Because the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus did, man, the places that Jesus went, you know, those are places that I was told God would never go. I was told that the people that are hanging out with Jesus right now, if they showed up in the Holy of Holies, they'd be dead and you'd have to drag them out by a cord. Couldn't be in his presence. But here's Jesus, the very presence of the Father with a bunch of quote unquote what the religious world called heathens sinners, dogs so which picture is wrong which picture is right Jesus never shared a list of rules. Jesus never said there was something that could get you out of favor with the Father. Jesus constantly shared, you are the favored. You are the beloved. You are the son and the daughter. I know the instant thing that comes in your head is, well, what? how can you say that about people who don't even know him? don't know him because they, and they don't know who they are and the moment they find out who he is they find out who they are and then they actually live in the reality of a son and a daughter that's some good news there I don't know about you, that's good news that's hope That's life. That's breath. So I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you this month that I know what's going on. Because the same thing goes through my head. When I start talking about this stuff, how good the Father is, how he loves unconditionally, and his call is for all to be saved. Those, those phrasing scares us sometimes, especially if you've been in the church for a long time, because we've been told the opposite of it. But my challenge to you is to take this understanding. If Jesus is the Word, and, it's, and Jesus is what God is saying, now go back and read those things that automatically come to your brain. And start seeing Jesus. Because when you start seeing Jesus and you understand these collection of stories reveal who he is and who he isn't. And now when you go back and read, watch the light turn on in your brain. And you're like, oh my goodness. I'd say one that was really big for me was going back and reading about the battle of Jericho and the story of Rahab. If you want to know the the, what is the main thing to come out of that story? Is it the walls falling down? Is it the taking of Jericho? Uh uh. It's the story of Rahab. Two guys show up, Caleb and Joshua. Look up what their names mean. Used to name people for a purpose and a reason. Their names meant something in the old testament. And, they, and whoever was named that, they carried that. And they, the, na- the meanings of their names, they carried that into the house of Rahab, who was a prostitute, who served the 60-some gods that they had there in Canaan. She was probably a prostitute in one of the temples for one of those gods. And so her picture of God was one of blood and one where she had to sacrifice her body. And then these two guys show up whose one name means salvation, or the Father saves, and the other one means goodness, gracious. So goodness and graciousness and salvation comes from the Father shows up, and she finds out who God really is. And her whole family has an encounter with the Father. And she becomes part of the lineage of Jesus. Redemption. It's amazing when you go back and you see things through the lens of Jesus, and not just hand-picking from here or there. So that's my challenge to you. And if you're here today and you're like, man, I, you know, there's brokenness, there's shame, there's things in me. I can't look at myself in the mirror. You know, in my brain, I, I, I keep constantly seeing that God is angry at me. I think he's mad at me. I think that's the reason why there's some things going on in my life. And I, I just, I'm in this cycle well listen I want you to know that his goodness is here and he wants you to have an encounter with it so you can see him for who he really is so that can unlock the door to see who you really are he wants to come in and heal the broken places that's salvation, sozo, that's healing he wants to come in and heal the brokenness, you're wounded he doesn't want you to be a wounded kid anymore. He wants you to be able to hold your head up high and recognize your sonship and your daughtership. Daughtership, I don't know if that's the right word or not, but it's all right. Recognize that you're a son and you're a daughter. So that encounter can start today. And I'm just gonna pray, and if you, even if you're here and you've been in this thing for a while, but you still have some broken things in your heart, your Father can still bring healing today. So that's what we're gonna pray about before we go. So I'm just going to ask, you know, as we pray, if that's you, just just open your heart in this moment and say, you know what, I see this brokenness, and and I really want to encounter this God of love. I want to encounter him. So I'm going to turn myself over to that. I'm going to start this process. I'm going to start learning anew, learning who he is and learning who I am. It can start today. Cool? So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for being here today. I thank you for just, uh, even beyond the words that I would say, just what you're doing in the hearts of us, just working and massaging and mending and speaking, uh, even beyond the language that I share uh, out of your working, I thank you that you're drawing us to the picture of who the Father is. It's one of love one of mercy, one of grace. He's not angry. He's not mad. He's not not vengeful. He's actually coming after us with arms open wide. So we we just open our hearts to you today, Father, and, and we want to encounter that love, that agape, that love that's beyond natural love, it's beyond physical love, it's beyond it's beyond even our imagination, but it's it's that love that that, that Jesus had there at the cross the Father had at the cross, the, the Spirit had at the cross, the sacrificial love the all giving love that agape, Father we want to experience that, we want to we see it, we want it to uh, come into our hearts and begin to move and to begin to heal those broken places, those, those wounded areas that we have We want to see you for who you really are. We thank you that that opens the door that we can begin to look in the mirror, the mirror of Jesus, and see who we really are. That we are loved. That we are good. that we're not ones who bring destruction, but you actually created us, gave, gave us hands and feet, gave us eyes and ears, gave us a mouth, gave us a nose, gave us all those things so we could experience life and not bring destruction, but to bring more life. That we could actually touch and, and grow and tend to, the garden of the earth, and grow it and make it stronger and and, and bring about good things and bring about life, bring about things that bring happiness, bring about things that that bring growth and not destruction. That's what you've called us into. We're a part of that story. And so help us begin to see that. Help us to begin to see uh, and, and allow our mindsets to change. thank you that you're so gracious because sometimes being able to look at ourselves in our mirror in the mirror and and be okay is hard because of past situations and stuff that's happened and, and I just thank you for for salvation I thank you for sozo that that healing that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit and just begins to mend and heal those spots in us we thank you Father for the work that you're doing we thank you for this week that's coming. We thank you for what you're doing. We just praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. As always, if, if anybody needs prayer for anything, just, just come and grab me or, or someone and we can pray. Uh, thank you guys. i see you guys uh, next week. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, Check out our web page. It's wearehopecommunity.com. Peruse some of the things that we got going on there. There's a blog, some more media. Um, there's a place to give if you would like to. Um, you can check out some other services that we have got. Um, but more importantly, we'd love to hear from you, and there's a place where you can just write a question, shoot us an email, whatever. We'd love to hear from you. You can also check out our Facebook page and our Instagram. Uh, You can connect to us, connect with us through those as well. But thank you so much for tuning in today. And remember that you are valuable beyond measure.